Amen. Awesome. Hey, uh, well, I know y'all are probably having a lot of fun over spring break. I was the same way, but I really did miss this. I hope you guys did too. So special getting to come together every Thursday night. Um, man, I am super excited for this sermon series that we're about to jump into. Um, I'm excited about it because I'm passionate about it. Um, and so I, I hope that over these next two weeks, if, man, this is never a topic that you have really dived into, like figured out what does God's word say about the topic of money, um, my prayer is that you will leave uh, confident moving out of college into whatever's next, whether that be a career, marriage, but th that you will step into this next season with confidence when it comes to money. Um, there's so much truth in God's word about, uh, about money, and so I'm super excited. Um, tonight, I'm going to be um, you know, opening God's word just like we do every single week, but next week's going to look a little, a little different. Next week, we're gonna, um, I'm inviting some of our pastors from Christ's Place uh, to come and join me on stage, and we're just kind of going to have a conversation about practical wisdom when it comes to money. This week, um, the title of my sermon is called Be Rich. Next week, uh, it, we're calling it Be Wise, and we're going to really get down to the nitty-gritty, like what does it look like to be generous? What does it look like to save? What does it look like to budget? And that's, uh, that's going to be something that you will not want to miss. We're going to do some Q&A next week, so I think it'll be a, a really good week. But uh, for tonight, I want to start by uh, taking you guys back to a time in my life where uh, I was kind of a player, okay? I want to take you back to third grade. My first summer at uh, summer camp, I remember it like it was yesterday. We were packing. I have a, um, a very loving mother who uh, was sorting all of my clothes for the week into Ziploc bags with the day of the week written on the front of it, all right? I was in third grade, okay? And so she's got everything sorted out, and I, I remember my suitcase was just this pile of Ziploc bags, but, but I remember... Uh, that at the very end, we were about to zip it up, and uh, she gave me one more Ziploc bag. And this Ziploc bag was my third grade wallet. And uh, it contained a, uh, a, an amount of money in it. Uh, and, and I don't know what that amount of money was. All I know it, is that it was probably a little bit more than what was, like, recommended, you know, for, uh, like, they probably told parents, hey, send your kids with 50 bucks. I'm sure mom probably overshot that a little bit because she's a little nervous. She wanted make, to make sure that I was taken care of. And let me tell you, I was. Um, so I get to uh, summer camp, and one of the first things that catches my eye is uh, a gift shop. And um, with this gift shop, I mean, I kind of got a free ticket to a shopping spree in my pocket in a Ziploc bag. And um, I, uh, I, I get really excited about the gift shop, but then I realize, like, wait a second. I could, I could do more than just buy me some things that I want. There's some girls that I've kind of had my eye on. Let me go see what they want from the gift shop, okay? And so I made this like, this. I just kind of made it a habit over like the two, three days um, of like the last part of the week. I would just go find some girls that I thought were cute. And I would say, hey, um, what you want? I got you. Right? And uh, we'd walk on in the gift shop. I'd say, go ahead, pick your pick, you know? And uh, we'd go check out. I'm like, no, don't worry, I got it. And, uh, you know, and hand them on over the, uh, the cash, right? And that was my week. And um, Aaliyah wasn't one of those girls. So that's not how we met. Um, it clearly didn't work. Um, but I tell you that uh, because it's kind of a funny picture, but it's a picture of a kid 
that has been given money and has no idea what to do with it because he doesn't understand the importance of it, right? And uh, when it comes to money, when you don't understand the importance of money, uh, you can make some pretty catastrophic decisions with it. And so tonight, we're going to talk about how important money is. Money is one of those things, man. It's, it's like a car, right? It's a useful tool. And when you know how to use it, you know what, what it's used for, you, you know the rules that surround it, you can make some pretty good decisions that will make your life better and can make the lives of other people around you better, right? But if you don't know the rules if you don't know how it operates, if you don't know how to take care of it, then what you're doing is when you're using it, you are putting your life and the lives of other people around you in really big danger. So, so money is important. I think that's a great illustration. But seriously, when I, when I say danger, you're probably like, okay, that's a big statement. But, but I want you to know that I'm serious. And God's word is serious about uh, how money really can be dangerous if you don't understand it. Marriages have been ripped apart because husbands and wives cannot get on the same page about their finances. Like, like if, if I'm ever lucky enough to, to do any of y'all's premarital counseling in here, we're going to like sit down and at length we're going to talk about what it looks like to be on the same page when it comes to money, right? Like it's, it's so important. But not just marriages, families. Like there are, entire, there are families that have been ripped apart because of money, because Nana died and, and this family's divided about how to settle the estate, right? Like, it, it will literally turn a family into a civil war. Like, money can be a big deal. And you're probably going, well, why does this matter to me as a college student? Like, I am broke, right? Um, here's, here's why it matters. Some of you guys in here make money. How many of you, you make money, you have a job that is recognized by the government, you pay taxes, not like under the table kind of thing. Awesome, okay, good. How many of you just, no shame, you are given money and you are proud of it? Let's go, let's see those hands. I know you are proud of it, awesome. See, look, some of you make money, some of you are given money, but here, here's the thing, all of you spend it, right? Like everybody spends money, you're going to college, all of, all of you spend it. And, and when you're in this stage of life, whether, uh, you know, as a college student, whether you're making money, whether you're being given money, you, you are spending money. And what you're doing is you are developing habits now that will follow you out of college. And, and when you get out of college, those habits that you are developing, even though you might not feel it, they are going to deepen and develop. And so if, if you were to like make the wisest decision possible in all areas of life, not just money, you would begin to develop good habits as a college student, understanding that those things are going to deepen and develop after you get out of this season of life. So if, if we... If we are going to open God's word tonight and talk about money, one of my favorite passages is 1 Timothy chapter 6. So I want you to open your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And, and I truly believe, y'all, that if we can grasp the principles that are going to be laid out for us in this passage, it will change the way uh, that, that you go about uh, handling your money. You'll be set up for success once you're given more of it down the road. So in First uh, Timothy chapter 6, Paul is writing, the Apostle Paul is writing to his, his mentor, his spiritual protege, Timothy. And this is kind of the end of his letter, and he's charging him to teach some specific things about money. 
So tonight, what we're going to do is I just want to teach you three simple truths from God's word about money, okay? So let's start reading in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3. Paul writes this to Timothy. I'm actually going to read a little bit of, uh, of verse 2. He says, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness... He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Let's stop there. What we just read is, again, Paul is charging Timothy to teach some specific things. And one of the things like that, that Paul tells Timothy in what we just read is he's, he's teaching him about false teachers. See, it was, a, it was a big thing back then for people to pretend or, or even think, like, trick themselves into thinking uh, that they were teaching God's word, but what they were really doing was exploiting the church for money. And the driving force behind that is materialism. It's why in, in verse 5, Paul talks about like uh, they were trying to, to get gain out of, the, out of their false teaching. He, he says that they imagined that godliness was a means of gain, like building themselves up. So Paul is addressing uh, this problem, and again, at the core of it is materialism, the love of possessions. And what's funny is, you know, we look at the Bible and we're like, yeah, man, that thing was written a long time ago. You know, some people claim that, like, the truths aren't timeless, but this is such a, a, a perfect picture of timeless truths in Scripture. Because this problem of materialism, uh, it exists just as much, actually probably ten times more today than it did back then, right? And so Paul is addressing this idea of materialism. Let me give you the first truth tonight is this. Money misunderstood is dangerous. Money misunderstood, it's actually money misunderstood is deceptive. Money misunderstood is deceptive. That was a spoiler alert for point two. Money misunderstood is deceptive. See, here is where we misunderstand money, y'all. When we think that it is the ticket to true contentment, that's what materialism is. Uh, it's, the, it's the thought that the more money we have, the more content we can be. The more money we have, the more content we are. And Paul, in the very next verse, in verse 6, he's going to counter that position. He's going to counter that, that mindset. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. See, Paul counters that assumption that, that more money means more contentment by pretty much saying, you think more money means more contentment and greater gain? No. Godliness and contentment is great gain. And he goes on then to say, like in, in, verse, uh, in verse 7, check this out. He says, we brought nothing into the world and we can't take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content." To which you probably hear that and you go, really? Just food and clothing? Like, if all I have is a t-shirt and a taco, like, I'll be good? That's what, is that like what Paul is getting at? Food and clothing? I mean, 
it's a bold statement, but it really is true. I, I don't know if any of you guys have ever had an opportunity to go on a mission trip to a foreign country before. Uh, man, I've had an opportunity to, to go to uh, a lot of different mission trips in South America and have had, an, have had a chance on those mission trips to see some of the living situations that some of these people exist in. And, and I remember being in Ecuador. We had just finished up a day of, uh, we were doing like sports camps or something. And um, this lady came to pick up her daughter. And I remember that she came up to us and she was really excited. And she was talking Spanish, so I don't know what she was saying. But what she wanted was us to come to, and see her house. And it was like, I mean, she was like proud of it. She like saw it as like a, uh, you know, being, being generous to us, good hospitality. And so she wanted us to come see her house. And, and I remember, you know, we kind of follow her through the village and it, we walk in to this house that y'all, like, I'm, I'm not even joking, like mud walls, like floor that has been, I mean, it's a dirt floor, but it's been swept to the point that it looks like polished concrete a roof on it that like it's just made of whatever she could find and everybody's just kind of chilling in in the one room like it's kind of a, a one maybe like a little side room house I mean not not good right but she was so proud of it like she was genuinely like she had so much joy like this joy that I'm like like strangely weirdly jealous of because she's, she, she's got nothing, yet she's content. And I think that, y'all, this is what Paul is getting at here, right? Like, like he says, yeah, just food and clothing. Here's the thing. People like that, they know something that we don't. They know the secret to being content in any and every situation. And this idea of being content with just food and clothing, like that's so foreign to us. And do y'all know why that is? It's because we have so much already. Like, it's because of, of all that we have here. Like, we're, we're, we really are so blessed, and we grow numb to it. Uh, you know, I, I was, as I was studying for this sermon, I came across this really interesting study. Um, the title of it was, Can You Buy Happiness? And uh, what this study found, it was done by some psychologists. Uh, these psychologists found that the ideal salary for happiness uh, was about $75,000, according to them. That was done back in 2012, so I'm sure it's you know, changed now due to inflation, but just follow the principle, right? So back then, $75,000 was like the salary that they claimed would like maximize your happiness. Y'all know what the law of diminishing returns is? It's like over a certain point in time, the returns will, will start to get less and less and less. Basically, that's what they're saying. That, yeah, you hit 75000 and that might maximize your happiness, your joy. But every step of the way after that, that joy that you get from a little bump in pay gets less and less and less and less. And what happens is that since... Happiness decreases after we surpass that certain amount, whatever it might be. We keep reaching for more, thinking, oh, if I can just get more, that'll satisfy me. Like that will kind of be the thing that gets me back to feeling the way that I used to. But again, that re those returns just keep getting less and less and less. The problem is, is how much we, we really do have. Let's read in uh, verse 9. Timothy writes, he says, 
or I'm sorry, Paul writes, he, he says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Let's stop there. See, we live in this society where we are always after more. We, we never have enough. It's, it's kind of like, you know, what I just said about that, that, that magic number that buys happiness. We never have enough. And according to God's word, that is a trap. Like a, a snare is literally the word that it says. It says those who desire to be rich, those who want more, fall into temptation, into a snare. So we got, uh, my wife and I got a puppy um, about, what, how is it, a little over a year now? So maybe like a year and a half ago. And um, since... We have had this dog, y'all. It has, boy, what a, what a journey it has been. But uh, one word that he is not fond of is the word crate, okay? He does not like the word crate. And the reason is, is crate's where he goes before we both walk out the door and, you know, go do whatever, right? And so when I say crate, what often happens sometimes, he's getting a little better, but what, what often happened, especially used to happen, was I would say the word, hey, Remy, go to your crate, and he would immediately take like a make a beeline to the furthest place in the house that he could get from his crate. Okay? You you get that, right? And so we started to go, this is really annoying. We don't want to chase you anymore. So that word crate, we changed it. We turned it into the word blueberries because he loves blueberries. So now we don't say, Remy, go to your crate. We say, hey Remy, you want some blueberries? And, and we, you know, get some blueberries out of the refrigerator. And we're like, hey, you want some blueberries? There you go. They're right in there. And sure enough, there he goes. He gets in there. He's like, blueberries, no way. And then he turns around. He's in the crate. <laughs> and you, you look at that and you're like, that's a, I mean, that's a dumb dog. He is dumb. But here is the thing. Every single day, we walk out of our, our house. And the enemy's like, blueberries. And we're like, no way! Let's go! Until we get to the point where we realize that according to God's word, this is, it's a trap. Like, like he puts these, these things in front of us that, that draw us in, material possessions and money. And, and according to God's word, it is a trap. And lots of us, you know, the, the, literally the words used are, uh, it, it takes us to ruin and destruction. And a lot of us, a lot of us think, when it comes to that, like, man, I don't think that I could ever get to the point where those things would cause ruin and destruction. Chasing material things, like, there's no way. But then you look at people uh, who have walked down that road. Y'all know who Nicolas Cage is? National treasure, right? So Nicolas Cage, at one point in time, turns out his money management skills even worse than his acting. I don't know how that can be the case, but... Uh, so at one point in time, though, Nicolas Cage was one of the highest paid actors in Hollywood. He was earning uh, up to $40 million per year. You know, there was a point in Nicolas Cage's lifetime where he got up to $6 million in debt. $6 million, like more than any of us most hope, I'm sure, go make good money, but more than I will ever make in debt, Right? So, I mean, it's, it's just crazy to see, like, you walk down that road, you're given all of that, and, and look what happens. This is a crazy one. Michael Jackson. 
Michael Jackson died in like his 50s, I think. He was on pace to make like $400 million in his life. But you know what Michael Jackson was known as? He was known as the millionaire who spent like a billionaire. That's literally what he became known as. Uh, He got to a point in his life where he had over $300 million in debt. He died with debt. Like, you, you see this hole that people walk down, and, it, and it, it's, it's a trap. That's, that's what I'm trying to communicate. It is really a trap. Like, some of the most depressed people on the planet are people who have the means to acquire anything that they want, but they can't get what they want from what they acquire. And so they end up at the bottom of this pit, And they come to the realization that what they were searching for all along, that they thought that they could get uh, from just throwing money, they realize that what they're looking for does not exist where they're looking. Like, it's dangerous. It's a trap. The wisest man to ever live, King Solomon, also the wealthiest man to ever live, wrote this book uh, called Ecclesiastes. If you've never heard of it, it's very depressing, but you should read it. Because what Solomon does is... He goes and he basically like spends this book recording this like existential search for meaning. And, and in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10, again, the wisest and at one point in time the richest man in the world wrote, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. I mean, how crazy is that? One of the richest men to ever live writes, writes those words. I, I go back to the point that we started with, y'all. Money misunderstood. It deceives you. But here, here's the second thing. It, it, gets, it gets even worse, actually. While money misunderstood is deceiving, money worshipped is dangerous. Money worshipped is dangerous. Read with me in verse 10. Paul says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, you guys have probably heard this verse before, right? This verse is all, I mean, it is almost always misquoted to saying money is the root of all evil. But that's not, that's not what Paul writes. Paul says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Here's what Paul say, or Paul is saying. He, he doesn't say it's wrong to have money. He says it's wrong to worship money. See, the way that we were designed is to love God and love people and use money as a means to that end. That we were supposed to, that we're supposed to use money to help us accomplish that goal. But what a lot of times we do is we use money. Or I'm sorry, we, we, we love money and then we use God and use people. We get it backwards. And it's so easy, especially for college students, to get there. It's so easy to make money your only ambition now. Why? Because everything you do, like your whole schedule is built around like this, like getting the degree that's going to earn you this future salary one day, right? Like it's always in the forefront of your mind. And so it's so easy for you to get there. And, And you think like, 
yeah, that, that might be a problem now, but once I get it, like once I get that salary, I'll be good. But Paul refers to the worship of money as a craving. In other words, it's like an appetite. And if we learn anything around Thanksgiving every year, it's that an appetite is never satisfied. That's why you can sit down for Thanksgiving lunch and like stuff your face for an hour and then six, seven o'clock rolls around and your mom's like, hey, uh, why don't we take some of that turkey and put it inside of a roll? And you're like, that sounds fantastic. Let's do it, right? Because you're at, like appetites are just never satisfied. And that's what Paul compares the, the worship of money to. I love the imagery that he uses here. He says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. When I was little, like uh, nine, ten-ish years old, uh, my family took a trip out to California, Nevada-ish area. We went to Yosemite. And I remember on that trip, you know, we explored some of the areas around. But one of the coolest things, y'all, was these sequoia trees. Has anybody, like, ever seen the sequoia trees? Like, uh, oh, wow, y'all, you got a picture of them. Thank you so much. Did you do that? Great. So that's like, uh, that is a picture of the sequoia trees. Um, and these trees are known for, for their size, for how big they are. These trees, there are some trees at the base of them. They've been like hollowed out and full on cars can drive through the base of these trees. Like literally, I, I just remember like as a nine, 10 year old, the, it's still burned in my mind how big these things are. Here's the crazy thing. No matter like, no matter what kind of tree, as big as these, as small as the ones that we see outside, each and every one of them, they started with a root, right? And Paul says that money is, or the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. He's saying that like, if you love money, yeah, today, tomorrow, the next day, it might not feel like your heart is being taken captive. It may not feel like you're falling into a trap, but here's the thing. Roots grow slowly. Over time, it is growing, it's festering, it's becoming something huge. I watched this incredible video. Um, I think it was two nights ago. Leah and I were watching it together. Uh, are you all familiar with Dude Perfect? Yeah, yeah, I, me too. They're crazy. It's so cool. Uh, I, I'm like a huge Jude Perfect fan. I had no idea this backstory that was going on with Dude Perfect. So there's this company called I Am Second that posted uh, this video of Tyler. Y'all know who Tyler is? Like bearded guy, gets real excited. Tyler uh, did, filmed this, um, this video alongside of his wife, Bethany. Uh, this company, I Am Second, it's a Christian company. They film people's testimonies. So, man, this is such a perfect picture of this verse. Tyler sits down. Start asking him some questions, and, and he goes into explaining how when, when, he, when Dude Perfect started, he and, and his buddies, you know, the, the five guys I think it is, they were students at Texas A&M. They were college students. And they just, I think they were in a Bible study, and they just decided one day that they were going to go and film this video of them, like, making a bunch of trick shots, and they did. And about, like, two days later, I think it was Good Morning America, calls them and is like, hey, we want to take your YouTube video and put it on our show. 
And they're like, yeah, that's fine with us. And so they do. And uh, that video just absolutely exploded. It went viral. So these guys are like, man, we should do this a few more times. And so they did. They slowly kind of started to put some videos together. And I think it was maybe like the third video that they made. A company approaches them about putting their video in a Super Bowl commercial. Crazy, right? College students. This company approaches them. They're like, man, absolutely. And, and it was, you know, it was kind of, uh, it was all easy from there. Like other companies started to approach them. And Tyler's talking about how like, man, this thing really started to take off. But he told this story that I, I and I, I'm, unless you've seen this video, you probably had no idea what was going on beneath the surface. So Tyler and, and all these guys, they're getting these once-in-a-lifetime opportunities over and over and over again to go and do these things with athletes and celebrities, like crazy stuff, right? But here's what happened. They started to put Dude Perfect first, like first above their family, their wives, their kids, first above like all these, these other important things in their life. And literally this, like Dude Perfect, people that like we look at them and we're like, man, these guys are living out their faith. Like it's, it's incredible to see. Did you know that Tyler and his wife, Bethany, they talk about it in this video, they like separated for a, a time in 2020 because according to him, their marriage was in shambles. Turns out he's like, man, I don't think I ever truly gave my life to Christ and I have been putting other things in the place that Jesus should be having in my heart. And it was soon after that that, you know, he gives his life to Christ and now he shares the gospel at the end of every single one of their shows. Y'all, it's a root right? The love of money is this slow growing root that can turn into, not, not today, not tomorrow, not the next day, over time can turn into something catastrophic, something absolutely massive. In, in verse 11, uh, Timothy is going to, or I'm sorry, Paul is going to continue to write. He says, but as for you, man of God, flee these things. He's talking to Timothy, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So Paul tells Timothy in that moment, he says, Timothy, take hold of eternal life. Get your eyes off of the present, off of the here and now, and take hold of, start looking to eternal life. Because here's what Paul knows. He knows that falling in love with the eternal life that is found only in Jesus is the only way to make sure that you don't fall in love with the temporary things of this world. You got to fall in love with, with the eternal life that is found in Jesus to, in order to not be sucked in, trapped by the things that this world offers. And, and it's so interesting. This is not just a like, Paul didn't just come up with this out of his mind. You know, Timothy, you should just focus on eternity. This is something that Jesus, like, this is, this is uh, directly a principle from Jesus. In Matthew chapter 6, you guys may have heard this verse before. Jesus is quoted as saying, don't take up or don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but instead lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
And he goes on to say, like soon after that, he would say, you can't serve both God and money. Here's the thing. When money is the object of your worship, Jesus cannot be. When money is the object of your worship, Jesus can't be. Like there is one single throne in your heart and it is occupied by one thing. And if it's not, if, it, if it's something other than Jesus, then it's not Jesus. And Paul knows that. But check out what happens in verse 13. Paul writes, I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Y'all know what just happened there? Paul is like in the middle of teaching Timothy about money and false teachers, and Paul literally gets distracted by how good Jesus is. And he just has to take a moment to have this like aside and just write about how incredible this offer is. And, and the, the thing that we should take away from that, like as Paul's talking about money, he gets caught up with eternal life. He gets caught up with Jesus, right? Here's the thing. For, for you guys, this is something like, man, this is my heart, right? I don't want the way that you treat money to be a response to some sermon, to some talk. I want the way that you handle money to be a response to the gospel. That's what's going on here. If you just hear, you know, me, me up here talking about like some interesting stories and how money's dangerous, that's great. You will never handle money the right way unless the way that you handle money is a direct response to the gospel. You understand that Jesus went first and so now you owe him your first and best. He was generous with you, so now you're going to be generous with other people. It's all a response to the gospel. Jesus is the secret of contentment. So here's, here's the third and final point tonight. It's this. We said that money misunderstood is deceitful. We said that money worshipped is dangerous. But here's the last thing. Money leveraged is life-giving. Money leveraged is life-giving. Paul spends, you know, a lot of time talking about the negatives of money, but we're going to jump in really quickly to the positives. Paul's going to give us some principles now for what our relationship with money should look like. And I love the way that Paul structures this, right? He starts with the dangers because he knows this. He knows that if you understand the dangers, then and only then will you be more, like, more likely to actually put these principles of what you should do in place. So Paul writes in verse 17, he says, as for the rich, we can easily look at that and go, that's not at me, I'm a broke college student, but it's every single person in this room. As for the rich, like literally by the global scale, every single person in this room is rich. Congrats, you're knocking it down, like great job, right? Uh, it, it, in 2021, the average adult worldwide made $23,000 a year. That equates to like $14 an hour. 
Like I, I did the math with some vacation days built in there. That's like if you got, if you, you can literally beat that salary at $14 an hour. So every single one of us in here, this is addressed to us. Paul writes, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. That's kind of interesting. What did Paul write there? He says, for everything to what? What does it say? Go ahead. You can to enjoy. That was boring. Let's try it one more time. For everything to so So we're literally called to enjoy the things that, that we're given by God, right? We're, we're called to enjoy, but we have to enjoy it in the right way. That enjoyment, that what we're going to read in a second, that life that is truly life, it looks a lot different than the world says it does, All right? So the first thing that Paul writes there is he says, don't be haughty. That's not haughty, that's haughty, like prideful, okay? And Paul is saying, don't be prideful. Uh, in other words, enjoying money doesn't look like using money to help you achieve status or get people to notice you. And there is a serious danger there. And I experienced it like last month. Let me tell you about it. So uh, Aaliyah and I and uh, another couple of ours, that, good friends of ours, we went on a, uh, like a three-day ski trip out to Colorado. And uh, one of the things that we did was we rented a, a car. And we rented from Alamo, which as far as I know is like budget. I mean, I, at least I thought. And so we walk into Alamo. We're like, hey, here to pick up an SUV. They're like, sir, walk uh, right outside. We're pulling your SUV around for you. So I open the door. I walk outside. And there sits a 2022 Jeep Grand Cherokee. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. Where are the keys? So they, you know, try to show me like, you know, all the different bells and whistles. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, just, you know, out of my way. I have a Jeep Grand Cherokee. And so, you know, get in the driver's seat and y'all, I was haughty if that's how you even say that. Like I'm talking, I was sitting at red lights and I was like, you peasants, you know, I'm, I'm like loving life in this thing. And then I come back to my Honda Civic, which is really nice. And um, it, it, what it did was it, it, it caused me to realize that like money and these things, like it really can be dangerous. It can like poison your heart. Money is a very fragile foundation to be building a reputation on because scripture says it's uncertain. And if you, you don't even have to be like an economy major, if that's a thing, to know that, right? Y'all, y'all understand what's going on with the market these days. It really is uncertain. In verse 18, Paul says, again, remember he's, he's addressing rich people. He says, they are to do good to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. That totally, that that turns the way that the world looks at money on its head. Notice here, Paul doesn't say, hey, Timothy, tell them, hey, you can't have money. That's not at all what he says. It's, It's actually totally different. He doesn't say, don't take a salary. He doesn't say, don't have a big house. Matter of fact, he tells us, be rich. Be rich, but but." He says, be rich in good works. See, for the rest of the world, and this is where this this idea of redefining rich comes from. For the rest of the world, rich means acquiring and accumulating possessions. But if we're followers of Jesus, we got to redefine what rich is, y'all. 
it's not just how, like, how many things can I collect. It's, it's not how many, like, like, how much money can I gather? How much stuff can I accumulate? For the, for the rest of the world, that might be what it is. But for followers of Jesus, being rich has everything to do with how you steward the possessions you have. You understand that everything that you have is on loan from God, and you are simply a manager of it. And the way that we're called to steward our possessions, according to what Paul writes, is to be generous and ready to share. We're not called to be containers. We're called to be conduits. We're not just called to be something that, like, we get money and money sits with us and we do with money whatever we want to do. We're called as stewards to be the conduit that gets God's money where God wants it to go. That's our responsibility. That's what it looks like to be rich. There's this couple in our, uh, in our church that, man, I, I've gotten to know them here over the past few months, and I love them so much. Uh, I'm not going to tell you their names, but they are, like, by the world standards, they're doing really, really well. Like, they just bought this uh, piece of land, like 70-something acres, backs up to this beautiful river. They had us over, uh, myself and some other guys, and, like, they were just showing us the property, and absolutely stunning. Something that anybody would look at, and, and they would go, that right there is the dream. Like, that's the dream. That, that is, I, I one day want to own a piece of land like that, to be able to do whatever I want with an awesome house. Like, that really is the dream. It's really not, because I can tell you right now, you don't want to steward it the way that they, that they are stewarding it, because they literally bought this land, built this property with the intentions of housing missionaries. Like, that was the reason that, that they're doing it, to, to do ministry with. And you might look at that, and you're like, well, yeah, I would do that if I had that, but here's my question. How are you stewarding your apartment. Like you, you say that, but how are you stewarding the things that you have now? Right? That's, that's what we have to ask ourselves. How are you stewarding the money you make, the car you drive, the place that you live? If you're not a good steward with a little, why should you be trusted with a lot? That's a, that's a principle that we see throughout Scripture. Let's read verse 19. This is the last verse we'll read. Band, you guys can uh, start coming on out wherever you are. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. That which is truly life. We live in a culture, y'all, where people are under the impression that the more they have, the more of life they get to experience. And Paul flips this on his head. He says, no, if you want the life that is truly life, try making your investments in eternity by holding loosely to the things of this world. That's how we're called to steward money. And it's a big responsibility, but man, it is, I'm telling you, you just look at some of the stories that we talked about tonight and you can see clearly like God's word really is the path that leads to the most abundant life possible. It really is. All, all we have to do is open it up and figure out what it says. And I'm telling you, the life that will result from that is abundant life. I, I want to close with this. 
just a, a scenario, hypothetical for you. What if, you guys probably aren't even thinking about this yet, what if your retirement plan, right, your retirement plan was built on, like you get to the end of your, like 65 years old, and you were told, hey, um, turns out, you know, you've been a part of a social experiment, um, your retirement is not your 401k that you thought you had, it's not that Roth IRA, your retirement is actually everything that you've ever given. Every tip that you've ever paid, every like opportunity that you've had to be generous with somebody, every bit of that, it's just been collected over the entirety of your life, and it's just been given back to you now. That's kind of crazy to think about, right? Like, would that not change the way that you give? Would that not change? Like, maybe you'd start tipping a little bit more. Maybe you'd start to look for opportunities to sow into what was coming to you, Right? That is how it works. Like it really is. Not, not in this life. But we read it according to scripture. When you are generous now, you're laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Like every bit of that is coming back to you one day. So should that not change the way that you're generous now? I think that's such an important mindset for us to have. And it's so easy to fall into the trap of greed and, and, and wanting more and more. But y'all, I'm telling you, the principles in Scripture lead to, to a life of abundance. According to Paul, the life that is truly life. We've talked tonight about money, but we've also talked tonight about Jesus. The eternal life that's offered through him. And some of you tonight, you, you might have heard us talking about that and go like, I don't have that eternal life. I don't even know what you're talking about. This eternal life that's that's found in Jesus. Listen, you can never put these principles of money into practice unless you are certain that you have that eternal life that is offered through Jesus. And, and the way that that eternal life is, 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 uh, is offered to you is that, man, you were created by a God who loves you, but you were separated from him because of your sin. But Jesus, uh, he was not okay with you being separated from him. Uh, God sent him down to earth to live the life that we could not live. He died in our place. He was buried and raised three days later from the grave, uh, providing us an opportunity to, to accept the eternal life that is offered through him. And that offer is on the table for you tonight. So if, if you've never made that decision, as the band leads us in another song, I'm going to be right down front, kind of to the side here. I'd love to talk to you about what that means. I'd love to share a little bit, hear a little bit, um, and just answer any questions that you have. And tonight, uh, down front, you know, here's going to be open if you'd like to come pray, respond in any way. Um, but y'all, tonight, I, I want you to respond as the Holy Spirit leads. Maybe you have not uh, been a good steward of the things uh, that God has given to you. Tonight, maybe you need to make a decision to begin to get those things in order. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. And God, we are so grateful for your word, God, for the way that you give us instruction for life. Lord, I pray that we would trust it, that we would cling to it, that we would know it more and more, and that, Lord, the result is that we would be made more and more like you. Father, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for all that you have given us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.